So we've been doing a, a series this fall on John chapter 3. We're going to continue that today. We're moving on this, the, to the next section, uh, verses 11 through 15. Uh, but before, before I read that text, uh, let me uh, pray. And um, I was just struck by in the announcements about how much uh, food plays a role in everything that's about to happen. Dinner tomorrow night, uh, tailgate. And, you know, just because there's a donut truck out in front of the church, um, that means donuts. You know, it means you get, we're not just parking a donut truck out there. That means you can come and get them and eat them. And um, I don't know what kind of donuts they'll, they'll have. What, is Emily still here? She's not here, so I guess it's mystery donuts. But um, we, we love to eat around here. But more than that, we love to eat together. And uh, so um, I, I think um, maybe you're feeling tired and checked out. Uh, well, the donut truck or the tailgate or um, the spaghetti dinner that's going to be prepared tomorrow night at uh, Second Monday would be a way to shrug off a little bit of that. So keep that in mind. Um, let me pray and then we'll read the text. Father, we come to you today thanking you uh, that uh, Jesus Christ was lifted up for us. Uh, I pray today that uh, that fact would strike us anew, that it would reorient our hearts and our minds, our lives, that you would be our teacher. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. John three eleven to 15. Uh, this is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except, the one, uh, except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Um, it's important for us to understand something, to see something in this text right off the bat. When uh, uh, Jesus says to Nicodemus, um, uh, because Nicodemus has said, I, I don't know how these things can be true, that you could be born again, or that... I don't understand what you mean about the wind. I don't understand any of these things. And Jesus says to him, well, how can you understand if you won't receive them, right? If you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe. One of the things, one of the mistakes that you would make about this is if you think that Nicodemus doesn't understand. Nicodemus's understanding is not the problem, right? His problem is he doesn't receive it. When I was uh, a senior in high school, I foolishly took calculus uh, because my parents were so set on my, one of my brother or me being a medical doctor. And so since he failed miserably at that, um, uh, it was my turn to do that and to get, in, you know, to get myself on track for that, I needed to take calculus my senior year in high school. And uh, I remember the day uh, right before I graduated sitting with my teacher, and he was uh, 
I'm like, you know, it was up in the air about whether it had passed or not. And he pulled out a back of an envelope, literally, pulled out his grade book and started scribbling down and came up with an, an average. And I actually uh, didn't pass. I missed by half a point, but he rounded up partly because I think he was ready for me to be done and get out of there, but because uh, I just didn't understand it. It didn't, make, it didn't make doodly squat sense to me in any way, shape, or form. I was trying to receive it, but I, I did not understand it. My brain is not wired that way. Nicodemus, when he says, when Jesus says, you can't receive this because you don't believe, he's speaking for all of us. It's not our brains that aren't wired that way. It's the fact that God must work in us faith. And so what Jesus does here in this conversation that he has with Nicodemus is he begins to shift the focus. And he's shifting away now from simply teaching Nicodemus to actually revealing more about himself, a description of who he is and what his mission is. And that's what kind of the rest of the chapter is going to be about. So to help Nicodemus understand and to reveal to him who it is that he's talking to, he cites for Nicodemus a very familiar and frankly odd Old Testament story uh, to get uh, his attention. So next slide. We read this already, but I want you to read it again in the context of what Jesus says. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and so that many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, I, I, you can read this, if you're familiar with the Old Testament at all, or you're familiar with the Bible at all, this is, this is not a, a, an, a, an unfamiliar story. It's a familiar story, but it should strike you, if you know anything about the witness of the Bible, as a very odd story. One that, like, it doesn't, it, 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 how does it fit? Because, what do we know about God's law? What do we know about the revelation of God in the Old Testament? Don't make idols right? Don't make images, right? And here, the very instruction for what it is that, that God wants the people to do to address this terrible situation of snakes, fiery snakes, coming around biting everybody, and they're poisonous. You get bit, you die, right? So, so it's, it's, it's a pretty crazy story. Well, I, I don't know exactly why God uses this, but I do think the, the, the point of the story uh, is not just that God delivered the people from uh, the, the effect of their sin when they sinned against God in the wilderness, but it's also to give us an illustration of our predicament and to give us uh, the, the uh, eyes to see and hearts to understand God's solution to that predicament. Now, 
I think this is something that is important for us to, to settle our hearts and minds on today because the question for us often is, uh, that we don't probably don't think very much about, but we should, is what's the cross for? Did Jesus die on the cross? Was he lifted up like the serpent simply to show us an example of uh, being a servant? Or did he, did he do that to show us what selflessness is? Or was he doing something else when he was lifted up on the cross? And that's so important for us because we confuse that all the time. We, we miss the fact that what Jesus is doing, what the serpent did, what the bronze serpent did being lifted up, was to deliver the people from the curse of their sin, right? Our sin. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you happy. Jesus didn't die on the cross simply to remove your sadness. Those things happen, but they happen because what the cross is primarily and what Jesus does there on the cross is he atones for our sin. And, and, and that there are many other things that flow out of that, but that's essential. That's key. Because just as the people who had to look to the serpent, there is no life without that. Okay? So I came across this quote from John Piper that I think is, is pretty important for us and helps us understand a bit about this. He says, notice a few things. The serpent on the pole is not preventative. It is for people who have been bitten. The poison is already in them, and without divine intervention, they will die. That describes us. Um, we, uh, uh, when we first bought our house a million years ago, one of the things that we loved about it was we had a deck that was over 1,000 square feet, giant deck, four levels, swing set on the deck, benches on the deck, so much so much deck space. You know, when we bought it, I thought this was the coolest thing ever until, you know, you power wash it and you seal it and you power wash it and you seal it and you power wash it and you seal it about 65 times and you're like, I'm tired of the deck, we need to get rid of it. So I tore the deck down, took me forever, filled up a giant dumpster and we put a, a screened in back porch on our house. Love the back porch. Love the back, everybody should have a back porch. It is, it's wonderful. It's a design flaw on our back porch. The porch is built onto the back of the house, and it's built over that backyard uh, spigot. So to get to the spigot, you got to crawl under the porch to get to it. So one day, my son was over, and I was going to water some plants, and he saw me. I'm like, hey, I'm going to go water the plants, and he's standing there on the porch watching me, and he sees me go down and get down on my hands and knees about to crawl up under the porch. And he sees me pick up my PVC pipe that I've had laying there since we built it. And he sees me poking around underneath the porch before I go turn the water on. He's like, Dad, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm making sure there's no snakes under here as I go to turn the water on. 
And he's like, you think there's snakes back there? Oh, I know there's snakes back here. And, and, and frankly, some of the snakes are my friends. They're welcome. Because, and he's like, why? And I'm like, see that, the, these black snake skins over here? They eat the plague of rodents that exist in our backyard. So they, they have a place here. They're my friends. I'm just concerned about copperheads. We have those too. And since my face is the most exposed thing as I'm leaning forward to crawl into the <laughs> underneath here, I really think it would hinder my preaching to get bit on the cheek by a snake. I don't think, I don't think the church would like seeing my face with a basketball on the side of it when I, when I come to preach, not to mention the fact that that venom is very close to my brain. So I might lose a few brain cells if I did that. I don't have any despair. And so, so the, 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 the fact is that we have this picture of, this, of these, these snakes coming uh, in and among the people of God. But there wasn't, they didn't, the, uh, Moses doesn't raise the, the bronze serpent up so that the snakes won't bite them. They're already bit. The bronze snake is for those who are dying, the ones who have the poison circulating in them already. And so the solution is not that it's prevented because you can't prevent the snake bite. When your mother and your father chose to disobey God in the garden, you got snake bit. And the poison's in you. It's in me. It's in every one of us. And the only solution to that poison is for the Son of God to be lifted up for us. You can't work your way out of it. You can't go to the hospital and get a shot. Jesus must do this for you and for me, right? Secondly, the snakes in the camp are, are, are from the Lord. He sent them, right? One of the things that we don't like to talk about and one of the things that we don't think about, and frankly, you know, I don't like to talk about it either, is the fact that God is rightly angry at our sin. Now, you hear that and you think, oh, gee, I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to know about that. I just want God to be, uh, you know, that his role in my life is to be kind, to be gentle, to be gracious, to be merciful, to be affirming. The problem with that is that God would not love you if he affirmed that which in you, which will kill you. Okay? If I have someone I love who has an addiction that is killing them, and I affirm that addiction, shame on me. I, you cannot say you love someone if you're not rightly angry at the thing that is killing them and their own participation, joyful, gleeful often, participation in that thing that is killing them. Thirdly, the means God chooses to rescue the people from his own curse is a picture of the curse itself. Um, Michael, flip to the next slide real quick. 
Paul says in Galatians 3 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You see, one of the things that you have to see about the atoning death of Jesus Christ is the unique thing about the cross, and there are many unique things about the cross, but one of the unique things about that is, is so that everyone could see not only is Jesus dying for sin, but he is dying in our place by becoming and bearing in his body the actual curse and the effect of our sin is what crushes him. So Jesus becomes cursed, in a sense, with our sin, with our guilt, with the, the just wrath of God, so that we then are set free from that. We have the death of another for us. And, and, and it's not just that he dies, but he dies in such a way, uh, just as the, as the serpent is lifted up, he is lifted up to remove all of the impacts, all of the effects of sin from us, so that now we are set free. That's why Jesus can say that by looking, looking not at so much as looking to the one who is lifted up, we can have eternal life. Now, go back uh, to the, the Piper quote. And so all the people have to do in order to be saved from God's wrath is look at his provision hanging on a pole, to look to that, to entrust ourselves to that. And that is what, uh, I think that's what Jesus is getting at when he uses this example for Nicodemus, because what he's trying to get Nicodemus to understand and to believe, and for us to understand and to believe, is that this work that God does for us by, by Jesus Christ being lifted up, by him suffering an atoning death, that is the pathway to life. That is the anti-venom that uh, gets rid of, destroys the venom of sin that is in us, that is killing us, that is separating us from God, and that only leads to death. Now, go, go to the next slide. Uh, so all we need to do, all, all that needs to happen here is to look, to look to, to say that I have a disease that is killing me. I have been snake bit. I came into this world snake bit. The venom is at work in me. Jesus, by your atoning death and sacrifice, remove it. After the nine o'clock service, I put my coat on and I go out and stand on the sidewalk. And I saw a man uh, who worships here, and I had, he had been on my heart and mind for a long time, and I just hadn't gotten a chance to get up with him and talk to him. And I yelled at him from across the parking lot, ran up to him, and I shook his hand and I told him, it does me good to see you here. Because several years ago, he did a despicable thing. He did a terrible thing. He did an awful thing. The kind of thing that uh, is hard to talk about. The kind of thing that is hard to think about. He came to me after he did that thing, and he confessed it to me. And we talked about it. 
And so here he is, years later, still coming to worship. And I told him, you know, this, this is a good thing. And I am, I, I want to encourage you, and you, because your presence here is encouraging to me. Um, and he looked at me and he said, well, it's all I got. Jesus died for me. He loves me. And I try to love him. He said that those words you said this morning about atonement, that's it. That's it. Now, the, the, the issue for us today, I think, the very practical issue for us today is we don't like atonement very much that is done on our behalf by someone else. Often we would rather atone, after all, as Linda told us, you know, we are we're quite accomplished. And we are tempted sometimes to think that by our own effort, by our own suffering, uh, by our own sacrifice, we can atone for our sin. We cannot, because we've been snake bit. In some ways, things that, are, that might even be worse than that is we spend a lot of our time and energy demanding those we know and love to atone for their sins. Now, while we must reconcile and we must work to resolve sin, we must confess it and repent and we must turn towards one another and seek restoration, the only way that we can do that, we, we can't make atonement. The, the energy and the ability to do that must come from Jesus Christ and must come from the reality of his atonement on our behalf first. It would be good for those you know and love for you to have a conversation with them this week to say, to ask them the question, do I relate to you in such a way that it seems to you that I am requiring you to atone for your sins? That would be a good, that would be a very good uh, uh, exercise for all of us to go through. Because my expectation is, if you are an atonement monger and that you, want, that you demand satisfaction that only the death of Christ can provide, if you are demanding that of, uh, of another person, it's no wonder you don't feel the freedom of the atoning work that Jesus Christ has done for you. Yesterday, we had a Presbyterian meeting, and uh, in our Presbyterian meeting, one of the things that I love about going to the worship service of our Presbytery is because uh, when we're singing together and saying the creed together, that's the only time we agree. <laughs> right? Which is not bad. That's kind of the point of the presbytery. So we can, you know, we can talk. And boy, can we talk. We talk till 3.30. A lot of talk. Presbyterians love words. So many words. Words, words, words. Right? Got to fill the empty space with more, more words, right? 
But we said in the creed, we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died and was buried. Right? Those great truths, powerful truths. And then we say those words, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Do we? Do we confuse forgiveness with, I'm just going to pass this over? It wouldn't have done my friend who I talked to in the parking lot if the day he came to me to confess what he had done, I'd said, not a big deal. That was a big deal. His life will never be the same because of what he did. But it also wouldn't have been true or helpful or good if I had said to him, now do these things to work off the guilt of what you did. No, if the gospel is true, if the atoning sacrifice of Jesus is real, there's a lot of mess that comes from this. But the fact is, our, your sin and my sin has been paid for. You can't pay for it. And you can't demand someone else pay for it. When we say that we believe in the forgiveness of sins, we're not just saying uh, the forgiveness of what we did in the past. The forgiveness of sins, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ is so rich and free and powerful that he's atoned for the sin you're going to commit in 2030. And that's the scandal of the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness of Christ, and what the death of Christ means. Look to that. Trust that. Trust him. As we come to the Lord's table today, we have the opportunity again to uh, uh, act out and to hold in our hands and to smell and to see the uh, actual uh, body of Christ broken for us, the presence of Christ spiritually with us, and the promise of Christ that our uh, uh, sins have been paid for, that he has set a place at the table for us, and that by virtue of his death for us, we have healing from the deadly venom of sin that has been circulating in our bodies since conception. Hear these words of institution. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The gifts of God for the people of God. Let's confess our sins together. Lord Jesus Christ, though being in very nature God, you humbled yourself and made yourself nothing. You died that we might live. We confess how unlike you we are. We strive to preserve ourselves 
and are slow to pick up our cross to follow you. We are slow to trust that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. We have loved our own lives and so failed to love God and our neighbor. Forgive us our sin and renew our hearts. Work in us by the power of your Spirit to change us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, and so bring glory to our Father in heaven. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross.